Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh it's, it's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I just uh, raged into the room with uh, with a beer and a beer and no clothes on. <laughs> what, what, what a way to start! That's Are we a... doing this naked? Is that going to be the thing? Well, that was a semi truth, wasn't it, Tom? <laughs> Gave you a semi on. Oh. Hey, <laughs> nothing more semi in my life than seeing you shirtless. Are we doing dancing. it naked anyway? Uh, uh, I wasn't well, I was just wondering, it. is, is that going to be the thing? I mean, it's not a video show, so we could, and no one would know. <laughs> so it's only for our benefit. Okay, let's do it. Let's take our shirts off. <laughs> They're good. I'm now naked. Excellent. So, yeah. Uh, Tom, we've, we've you were just little... telling me that you're, you were just telling me that you're being a mardy ass little twat today and you're whinging about being tired. Yeah, I was. So, to the yeah. point you were considering delaying the start. Of season two of that eight bit shit show. Yeah, but then I realised. Whoa, 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 whoa! You fucking twat! You're drinking a beer already. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> so you fucking twat. Man, oh, we're picking up. Mine, then. We're picking up where we left off. Uh, absolute this mayhem. Beer, this beer looks like absolute piss. It you said you got... looked like piss. Well, you said you got some interesting beers for the show. No, so I, what... I, I, puss- I pussied out of the one I bought for the show because it's nine percent. Ooh, okay. It's okay. called a roaster coaster because I figured that Sonic the Hedgehog is a bit like a roller coaster. Yeah, very true. Very true. But instead, I ended up with a Brewdog versus Cloudwater New England IPA. That sounds shit. I have the king of beers, Doombar. So that is the king of beers. Like that's a classic Cornish ale. It is. And it, it it's is. A go- it's a go-to one. You're drinking it bottled, I notice as well, which is the preferred version. Mm-hmm. Hell yes, hell yes. So, yeah, Tom, we've had a hiatus. Uh, a hiatus hernia. And, <laughs> and uh, we are now reconvening, what? what is it? How long has it been? Six weeks? Longer than that. Nine weeks. Well, we actually haven't, um, I don't know that we've set a launch date for this yet, but we're guessing this show will go out in a couple of weeks from when we've recorded it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Six uh, to eight weeks of off time, downtime. From season one of that 8-Bit Shit Show. And we're back, baby. I have missed that 8-Bit Shit Show. It's It's been a hole in my life. It's been really difficult for me because I've had to be like a little bit more sensible. And like, I've fucking hell, man. The stuff we've been doing on After Hours, like interviewing people, like academic people. You've had to be professional, man. And it's, uh, you know. It's really fucked with my mojo. You know, the other shows that we have under Happy Hour Gaming, they're all very like. I wouldn't say serious, but they're all a lot more straight laced than than this show is. Um, well, it's because we have a Catholic priest hosting some of them. <laughs> Shout out to our resident Catholic priest. Not the type that fingers boys. We hope not. He's never. He told, he told me he's dead against that kind of business. Cool. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. He even added, obviously. <laughs> cool. So that's that's been cleared up tonight. Okay, great. Uh, so, welcome to that eight bit shit show, season two, and episode number one, where we are possibly looking at the last, possibly the last ever episode. Really? Well, who knows? Well, I suppose it could be. I mean, we should treat everyone like it is. <laughs> okay, like it's the last day on earth. So, episode one or episode 
well, the only episode it could be, is Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, what better way to kick off a brand new series than with one of the greatest games of all time? Tom, let's dive in and talk about, man, one of the most iconic games in history. Tom, tell us about tell us about it. Go on. Well, Sonic the Hedgehog is about a hedgehog. <laughs> And he's a yeah. blue hedgehog who runs really, really fast. All right, thanks. Good night. Sonic, this is developed by Sonic Team over at Sega, published by Sega. Producer Shinobu Toyoda, who, if you read Console Wars, by the way, which is an amazing book, you're going to know mm. a lot more about this kind of stuff. That's one of the, like, if you're interested in retro gaming, one of the big stories in retro gaming is the Console Wars. And granted, it was way more prevalent in America than it was here, because um, we had that computer gaming here. People were playing their NDKs and their Dooms and everything around this time, a couple of years before Doom this was. Yeah. Uh, but everyone knows the console wars, the Genesis Super Nintendo or Genesis NES. Big tussle. The the race for um, you know ownership of the video game market in America. But this is the game that really made those, those console wars an actual war. Absolutely. I mean, Sega were... They had, you know, the most powerful console around at the time. Um, certainly more powerful than than anything Nintendo had, but they didn't have that IP that could challenge Nintendo. So well, they had Alex Kidd, which losers like you were playing. Hey, hey! Don't besmirch the name. Good name of Alex Kidd. It's a... I'll besmirch your mum if you carry on. <laughs> she might like it. I don't know. <laughs> sorry, mum. I'm sorry, mum. <laughs> Yeah, so this, like, let's put some context to this. It's the same year that DMA Design of Grand Theft Auto fame released Lemmings. Capcom released Street Fighter 2. Oh, yeah. And Neverwinter Nights was released as the first graphical Mamorpaga. <laughs> is that how it's pronounced? That is how it's pronounced. Okay. Okay. Well, MMORPG, Mamorpaga. Never played it. Yeah, but it's very, very famous, and it was a hugely influential game. So this came out in the year of some bangers. Later in 1991, Square Enix, or Square at the time, Squaresoft, released Final Fantasy IV in Japan, which is the first Final Fantasy title for the Super Famicom. So the Super Famicom was coming out in Japan this year. Mm. The Super NES launched in North America. So the Super NES came out after the launch of Sonic 1 with F-Zero and Super Mario World. Two absolute, like, ridiculous games. What a launch. The, Le- the Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, launches in Japan. One of your favorite games of all time. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Road Rash came out in the Genesis. Good game. Yeah, Road Rash is good, but it's not fucking the Link to the Past, is it? You know <laughs> Exactly. No, or it doesn't Super compare, Mario does World it? Or F-Zero or Metroid 2 Return of Samus on Game Boy. Super Castlevania 4 came out that year. Mega Man 4 came out in Japan. Civilization came out. Holy shit, did it? Yeah. Wow, okay. I didn't realize it was that early. Wow. And in the same year, Sega started planting the seeds for what would be their downfall is they launched the Mega CD in Japan. Oh, dear. And of course, we know that this focus on bullshit peripherals and gadgets kind Mm. of fucked Sega a little bit, or a lot. Uh, Yeah, massive amount. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting, man. I didn't know, I certainly didn't know Civilization was around that early, but you can see with those games that the waiting was so heavily in Nintendo's favor at this point 
Like, look at those titles, man. F-Zero, Super Mario World, Legend of Zelda. Just all absolute bangers. So, you know, you can see Sega needed to do something. Right, do you want some back, some some background here? Yeah, I'd lo- yeah, let's let's do it. So the Genesis released in nineteen eighty eight. So way like th- three years before the Super Famicom, mm. and it was a sixteen bit the only sixteen bit console on the market, and it was actually Sega's third console after the SG one thousand and the Mark three. The Mark three was rebranded as the Master System. Ah, okay, I didn't okay. know that. I did not know that. The Genesis released one week after Super Mario Bros. three. And just totally overshadowed by the positive buzz surrounding like the Famicom and the NES, and it only sold four hundred thousand units in its first year. Shit, that is that's insane, isn't it? Considering Man. like how significant it being a sixteen-bit console was, because it was the console that could play arcade games. Yeah, man, quite. And uh, it, that's now, of course, in reality, that console that could play arcade games was the Neo Geo. But we're talking about the Sega Nintendo console war, okay? Now. The big thing here is mascots were growing in popularity. And you mentioned Alex Kidd earlier. Like, Sega just didn't have that thing. Yeah. And yeah. they uh, really wanted to create a Mario killer. Sonic was specifically designed to be a Mario killer in terms of to take the, the focus off Mario and bring it onto Sega and Sonic. Absolutely. So there's these uh, console wars heating up with Sega does what Nintendo don't kind of adverts <laughs> and all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we, we'll get onto the people responsible for this shortly, but the company president, Nakayama, he held this company-wide competition for a new mascot and it receives over 200 entries, okay? Some of the entrants become other characters in games. So there was a character based on Theodore Roosevelt who became Robotnik. Nice. Yeah. That's Excellent. mental. <laughs> and the winning entry was from a guy called Naoto Oshima, and he teamed up with uh, programmer Yuji Naka due to their shared vid- vision of creating an incredibly fast game. And the original character was named Mr. Needlemouse. Oh, that's such a good name. Oh, Mr. Needlemouse. <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. Uh, but the design goes on to be refined. Okay, And the main influences on the final design of Sonic were the blue of the Sega logo, boots to look like the shoes that Michael Jackson wore on the cover of Bad. Oh, shit. And his attitude was inspired by Bill Clinton's get it done attitude. What, Monica Lewinsky? <laughs> <laughs> get her done. <laughs> uh, man, I was watching uh, some footage of like uh, where Sonic came from as well before before the show. And um, there was a there was a character that was created. Uh, I don't know who made it, but it was like it was going to be this rabbit who could like uh, pick stuff up, pick objects up with his ears and fling them at enemies. But they said it like. Mm-hmm disrupted the flow of the game too much so they just completely scrapped it and and went with the sonic idea so yeah because of course with sonic stopping to pick things up if you look at mario bros 2 which was not a mario game when it was originally made this is the usa version of mario bros 2 that had you stopped and picked things up and it completely changed the flow of super mario which mm. reverted back yeah that was actually originally a game called doki doki panic yeah yeah it was uh, rebranded as mario now, Sega in Japan were worried that Sonic wasn't going to be appealing to the American audience. So they actually gave him fangs and they put him in a rock band and they gave him a human girlfriend and she was called Madonna. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, but when they presented it to Sega America, uh, they were like, oh, can you remove the fangs, the girlfriend and the rock band, please? So like everything they added in, it just shows this, this uh, 
dialogue issues between Sega of Japan and Sega of America. And that was a constant issue during the development of this game. Mm. It's actually pissed off the Japanese developers, and this is where the rift starts to form. And again, ultimately leads to the downfall of Sega as a hardware provider. Man. So it goes that far back. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, this is the beginnings of it, because um, the, the issue is that uh, Nakayama, the company president, hired a guy called Tom Kalinske to try and get a grasp on the American market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he became the, the CEO of Sega of America. Now, there's actually like these great stories about where he's actually on the beach with his family, and like Nakayama just like rocks up. He's like, hey, I want to make you CEO, and you're going to have 100% decision-making authority of what happens in, Amer- in the American branch of Sega. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, He was previously working at Mattel, toy brand, it. and he popularized Barbie, and I think He-Man as well. In like a three-year period, he, he made them the success they were. And that's, you know, that's some feat, isn't it? It's a, yeah, it's so a he good didn't pedigree. Really about, he didn't know anything about video games. He knew about selling toys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And marketing. So he joined the company, and I can't remember the name of the guy he took over from, but basically someone else was chucked out, and he was brought in. And he came up with this plan. This is like, I think it was like a three-point plan, but the, or five-point plan or whatever. But the first part of it was dropping the price of the Genesis from 199 to $149. Mm. And this is, bear in mind now, they've got Sonic is is in development. They know it's going to be something impressive. Uh, introducing American game development. So games developed in America for the American market. A new ad campaign that directly attacked Nintendo. And then most controversially of all, and this is the thing that the Japanese couldn't get their heads around, is he said, we're going to put a free copy of Sonic with every Genesis. Yeah, make it the packing like, game. Yeah, they were like, what? <laughs> what they're the like, heck, we, man? They're like, We've just developed this game that's clearly going to be our biggest best-selling game yet. And you want to give it away for free with the newly reduced price console. You're mad. And Nakayama says to him, Tom, I told you you can make the decisions, so go ahead. Shit. That's some trust right there. And what he understood is the important thing is to get the consoles in people's living rooms. Yeah. I mean, that's what people do now, isn't it? They don't make money on consoles. Quite, yeah. Once they're there, that's it. They've got your buy-in. You know, they're going to get hundreds and hundreds of quid out of you rather than just, you know, one or two. One or two games. Gamers are loyal and they're kind of tribal in their defensiveness of their brand. Yeah. Once you've picked a side, you, you don't tend to see much much of a, a switcheroo, do you? It's like... Well, even now, where I couldn't give a fuck about console wars. I just play on PlayStation because that's just my jam. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. And regardless of what Xbox are doing, Game Pass and all that wonderful stuff, I'm not like going, oh, I'm going to switch over. Mm. So, yeah, Sega Japan were kind of outraged by this idea. And this comes from this earlier discussion where it was Michael Katz was the guy that he replaced the cake. Yeah, because that's it. They, they felt that Kalinsky was more dynamic and aggressive and he had the proven success in America. Uh, so yeah, gaming history kind of proved that Kalinsky's understanding of the industry was correct. Consoles are sold at a loss today because the base, in, the install base is the important thing. You get enough people on the brand, blah, blah, blah. It was a new concept because prior to the release of the NES in 1985, you didn't actually have to pay a license to make games on the console. That's why the video game crash from 1983 happened, because there was no quality control. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. And um, and people weren't making Nintendo weren't necessarily not Nintendo Atari weren't necessarily making money off every game sold. They were making money from selling the systems and their own published games. But someone else could come along and make a game, put it on a cart, and sell it compatible with Atari. Since what Nintendo introduced and what has been the staple since, if you want to publish your game onto a platform, is the platform owner will take a cut of every game sale you have. It's around about thirty percent now. Is it really? That okay. Okay, that's uh, that's higher than I expected. I didn't actually know that stat, so fucking hell. That's, yeah, it's around about 30% everywhere, apart from on the Epic Game Store, where they only take 12.5%. Of course. And that's what's led them to have this big fallout now with um, with Apple. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, yeah, I remember that coming out now. Um, man, that's, yeah. With the Atari stuff that came out, there was so much shit on that console. Like... Man, <laughs> well, it, it, it killed the whole industry, didn't it? Mm, yeah, quite. So, you know, Nintendo, as much as they they're bastards with their, you know, with their closed endedness, sometimes um, they had that right. Yeah, and I think so. I've got to check what we're going to cover later. That I don't jump too far ahead here, but I, I haven't got too much about all of the development here because that's the bullet points of the story. But there's so much content you can go on read this book that tells you all the actual interactions and stories that are so interesting. But basically, just jumping a bit ahead to the reception ad, Nintendo completely ruled the home console market mm. until Sonic was out. And they managed to turn it into a 55-45% split in favour of Sega by 1992. That's in under, well, just under a year. That's insanity. Six, six months, I think, from launch six of Sonic. Months. To take to taking fifty five percent of the market, fucking hell! And <laughs> it wasn't a new console either. It was a console that was three years old. Yeah, that's that's an even bigger thing because you get these launch titles. Um, well, you'd, you'd think Sonic was a launch title. A lot of people think back and go, "Oh, Sonic came out with the Mega Drive," but three years—that's a long time in a, in the life cycle of a console. Um, so to to think that it. It turned things around almost mid-cycle. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, what's for always good fun back then is the kind of tomfoolery that was going on between Sega and Nintendo as well. They're like, they're kind of spying on each other. And <laughs> and like one of the famous things is is blast processing. And I can't remember which game they, they came out with this for, but when Nintendo introduced Mode 7, which was an actual graphics mode on the, with their Super FX chip and all that kind of stuff, that, that Sega were like, oh, well, we must have something like that. Yeah. And they're like, they're like, no, we don't have something like that. Well, what does our thing do? Oh, well, it does X, Y, Z. They're like, okay, we're going to call it blast processing. <laughs> we're just going to say it's a thing and, and say it's better than what Nintendo have. Yeah, but we don't actually have it. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Just fucking say we have. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute bullshit. But yeah, you know, they, they were worked. they were like going and doing these these mortals and it's uh people didn't want to stock sega like walmart's and people like that they didn't want to do it and kalinsky just kept going to him and going to him come the end they were like you couldn't get they couldn't get enough genesis consoles in the stores they just battered them into submission and they really they really played on this are you nintendo or are you sega kind of loyalty that and there's this target for sonic to be cool he's everything that mario isn't yeah yeah yeah. Well, like like you say, though, there's an interesting thing that you touched on earlier. It's like that uh, sort of um, perception from Asia of what is cool in the West. 
sort of thing. So like you'd give them a leather jacket, make them in a rock band and all that sort of stuff. Whereas really what they wanted was just a game that was amazingly fun to play and could, you know, it played well, it was smooth, uh, it had a likable character. That's all they really needed to make it a success. But it's interesting. Yeah, Sonic's a bit of an arrogant asshole and that's why people love him. <laughs> yeah, quite. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh... Sonic, Sonic doesn't give a fuck about anything. He's just like, you know, whatever. Like he's got that attitude, he, isn't he? Yeah. We so, actually had Craig Stitt come on the After Hours podcast to talk about Sonic Two and his time as a level artist on Sonic Two. But he talks about the first time they played um, Sonic at Sega Technical Institute because Mark Cerny was heading up Sega Technical Institute in Japan, in America, and they were desperate to win because there was a mascot race going on within Sega as well mm. because everyone at Sega knew they had to create this mascot to beat Mario. So there was different divisions within Sega, and there was a big kind of rivalry between Sega of America and Sega of Japan to be the one to create that defining icon for Sega. And the American um, development team in Sega Technical Institute in America just really, really wanted to, to get that. I mean, Mark Cerny's a driven guy. Programmed Marble Madness single-handedly when he was like 19 or something. Now. Uh, and they didn't. They didn't beat the Japanese guys to it. Craig, um, from listening to the show, obviously I wasn't uh, party to it, but I, I have listened to it, and I, he went on to say um, that he he entered some uh, interesting designs for for Sonic Two that didn't actually make it into the final game that looked yeah, really cool. Tales, yeah. And um, we'll we'll dive back into that when we inevitably cover Sonic Two, but indeed, yeah, yeah. But he said they they realized once they they played like a, a beta build of Sonic, and then when they played the final build, he said they all just sat around and just went, well, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's <laughs> the winner. We, we, we've lost that race. <laughs> Fair dues. And, and they were and, right. Yeah, and it was. And Sagan knew what they had on their hands coming into this, so they, they marketed it like just really aggressively and were naming Nintendo everywhere. and just. So that was kind of the pinnacle of the console wars, I think. Uh, between the release of Sonic 1 to pre-Sonic 3. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that's really, you know... The as you said, the bullet points of of how this all came about. Um, in a terms of tour. yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> whistle, cool whip. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about the story. Um, so basically, the story is. I mean, it's not the best story you're going well, to come across. That's not what it's about. Hideo Kojima to write the story, and that's why it's probably so weird. No, they didn't. Um, <laughs> Damn it, I thought you'd actually given us a meaty fact that I didn't know about there. Okay. No, imagine if like, he started this basic and then got into Metal Gear. <laughs> well, so the story is that in an attempt to steal the Chaos Emeralds and harness their power, the evil Dr. Ivo Robotnik has trapped the animal inhabitants of South Island in aggressive robots and stationary metal capsules. The player controls Sonic, who aims to halt Robotnik's plans by freeing his animal friends and collecting the emeralds himself. If the player collects all the Chaos Emeralds and completes the game, an ending sequence is shown. If all the Emeralds are not collected, Robotnik taunts the player while juggling any of the Chaos Emeralds that were not collected by the player. So you have I a never, I've, I've never collected all the Emeralds and beat the game because when I was a young boy, I found the special stages to be girly. Girly? <laughs> really? I was in like, these way? are girly, there's all diamonds and like birds in the oh. background and pleasant music. And I was like, this isn't the tough bad man Sonic that I want. <laughs> I, was like, I, will not, I will not play your girly special stages, Sonic. 
<laughs> when Sonic 2 came out and it had a fucking half pipe for the special stage, I was like on it. You were sold. Yeah. Yeah, I was sold, but not with, not with this girly nonsense. Well, Tom, that's not very progressive of you at all as a young but I was, I was, a, I was a child. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> anyway, to go from that. So <laughs> Tom didn't like the sparkly special stage. But so uh, with that in mind, there were six zones uh, that were created for Sonic 1 um, and a final final boss called Cleverly Final Zone, which exactly. And each zone is broken into three acts, um, with the third act being slightly shorter and containing the boss at the end, uh, which is always Robotnik or one of his machines. it's normally Robotnik in a machine, isn't it? Uh, it is normally, yeah. He's normally in some sort of contraption because he's this crazy inventor character. Robotnik's really cool. Like, as a character, he's one of the best... I think we touched upon this on a Happy Hour, uh, After Hours episode, um, where we talk about our favourite villains and, and antagonists uh, and protagonists. Um, and I put Robotnik in there as a, as a notable mention because he's just this ever-present menace who just bungles his way he's through. He's a fucking annoyance. He is, yeah. He's not good at what he does at all. He's, a, he's just a nuisance. But I got to tell you now, Green, Green Hill Zone, which is probably one of the most iconic levels in all of games. I love the fact the trees look like that origami paper. That's like the the checker plated like kind of backgrounds. But the boss used to scare me on Green Hill Zone. I used to find him intimidating with his big ball, <laughs> with his big old swinging ball. Yeah, yeah. Like droop below him and swing from left to right. <laughs> I mean, like, Green Hill Zone, how iconic is that level, though? I mean, it, when you say Sonic to somebody, what, what do you think pops into their head? It's, it's going to be Green Hill Zone, isn't it? Um, and everything, like the title cards, the way the, the red, blue, and, and yellow like cards slide on, give the name of the zone, then they reveal back, and then you just start going, and it's just fast, and it's just like a roller coaster. Yeah, it really is. And that's what they really, I think they wanted to achieve, isn't it, is have that differentiation from Mario to make this because there wasn't anything out like this at the time i can't think of anything no and this be. definitely wasn't a mario clone no precisely which is you know clearly something they wanted to achieve um to give them that you know differentiated from nintendo like we've got sonic and it's like nothing you've ever played before um and it really wasn't man. like it really was like phenomenal yeah it's like playing a racing game it's so quick like so if we look at something like Super Spy Hunter, um, which, I mean, that game is quick, but it, the, the the hardware just doesn't handle how quick it is. Whereas Sonic, it's super quick, but because of the Mega Drive's power at that time, it could properly handle it as well. And that's somewhat down to clever design as well with the way that they've um, designed the world uh, with some of the scrolling background effects and things like that, uh, which didn't use too much power, so the frame rates didn't dip so much. Um, but it's just pure adrenaline-fueled fun. And you can play it in a lot of different ways as well. Like, you, you can speed through the zones, or you can look through the different alternate routes, which is something, again, which is it's not something that was that common, I don't think, is, you know, a platform. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot more verticality, and it's always like that game to try and stay at the top of the level for as long as you can. Yeah, exactly. Um so yeah, Green Hill Zone, man, that, that, that embodies everything that we just talked about as well. That's a really less showcase. Shining Tank to the way you could in, interact with the environment, like you could spin and demolish through walls to like find new routes and things like that. 
yeah, or extra lives or, you know, power ups, things like that. So design wise, it was an absolute, I think it was an absolute marvel. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's so far departed from like Mario and other games like that, that it's just, it's completely revolutionary. And as I said, Green Hill Zone really embodies that. It's, It's the showcase for all of these crazy effects and features that they brought in. It does that, but then I also think Green Hill Zone's the generic zone that could be in any game. It is just, you're just running around in some hills. I think once you jump into the next few levels, like things get weirder and wilder. Yeah, yeah, they do. So, like next next zone along from Green Hill Zone is Marble Zone. Um, this is my favorite zone. Yeah. Okay. So it's just the level design, the music, and everything. It's actually my least favorite zone um, because I tend to die a lot in it. <laughs> yeah, well, you're wrong. So it's <laughs> okay. All right. Oh well, that's fine then. Uh, why? Why is it your favorite? Gone. What talk, talk us through? It's Marble got the best zone. music in the game. How's it go? Oh God! <laughs> Come on, give us a rendition. I want acapella. No, oh, I can't do on that. His phone. You, you know I can't do that. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you a clip because I think this is some of the coolest music in the game. No, you are right. It is. It is. Um, but this is a. Here we go. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Man, isn't that amazing? Yeah, you're um, right. It, it's kind of Marble Zone has the feeling to me that there's there's things happening in the level, things moving and things erupting that it feels like this ancient place where all of that stuff just continually cycles, whether you're there or you're not there. Mm. And it's just kind of a nice like it's it's. There's actually, it feels exploratory, but there's actually way less different routes to go. I yeah. just think visually and audibly and everything, it's it's one of the most interesting levels. It slows you down a little as well. After that f- absolute, uh, you know, adrenaline-fueled, high-paced race yeah, to the finish, much slower. you have to be a bit more calculated on this level. Um, yeah, and also shout out to the way that the, the lava, like, dances to the music. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean... They've thought of everything um, in terms of design on this. Like the, I can't remember his name. The guy they got in to compose it, um, he was part of a band. Uh, I forget the name of them now, but it did a fantastic job because every level has its own identity, you know, with the music, the the aesthetic of each level. It's so impressive. Um, so Spring Yard Zone comes after um, the Marble Zone. Now, and- this is my least favorite zone, but it's one of my favorite bosses because so the zone is just annoying as shit. It's got those spike balls, which always... Every, everything wants to spring you uh, 100 miles an hour into a fucking spike. Yeah, yeah. It is a, a bit of a a frustration zone. And this it, one. it screws with the rules because there's enemies that have spikes on top of them for the first time. Mm. Well, not for the first time, because the caterpillars in Springyard Zone have, in um, Marvel Zone have them, but you can still jump on their heads. Yeah. There's, there's a lot more spiky shit going on here. But the other thing I want to ask, Ed, is like... So Green Hill Zone is obviously what it is. Marble Zone is like this ancient kind of Indiana Jones-style cavern. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is Spring Yard Zone? Well, I don't know, because the backdrop is like a cityscape. Yeah, so and to me it feels like it's maybe like a scrapyard of some kind. Yeah, it could be. It could well be, yeah. Yeah, it's not really specified anywhere, is it? But Because um, it's, it's certainly... got a lot of vibes of Casino Night Zone for Sonic 2, the way it has the like half-pipe transitions. Because that's another great thing, is like you can, if you jump 
you see the screenshot we've got here of like the U-shaped half height with the spy balls. If you jump into one of them and land tight against the one wall, you're actually going to accelerate through the transition and get more height. And you can actually link these up because the game's all about flow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you, you know, uh, I think it's, it's, as I said, it's really clever how they've designed that and it, how it all just seamlessly flows because you can get into those half heights, fly up the side and, you know, back down the other side and it's it flows perfectly. Um, there's no jankiness to to any of the animation when you're doing any of that, and to go so no, quickly, you just and get have faster that. and faster. And it almost feels like there's no end to how fast you can go. <laughs> yeah, which is exactly what they wanted to go for, and and damn, they achieved it. So, yeah, I agree with you though. That is a frustrating level. Um, but the boss, he just has, he's just in the normal sort of Eggman ship, and he just has this giant spike that comes out the bottom. And he crashes down and pulls bricks out of the floor. But man, that's one of the most intimidating bosses because it's just him with a spike. <laughs> yeah, damn right, damn right. Uh, Labyrinth Zone comes next. Um, now this is now this cool. is here's a, here's a zone that's frustrated many people. Well, it's underwater. Well, a lot of it's underwater. Um, it's like this Aztec style uh, brickwork, um, and then you sort of descend down into the level uh, through these r- moving platforms into the water, and then obviously you've got a limited time before you run out of breath um and they introduced a new design here a new design mechanic here where you have to find air bubbles or obviously yes, jump so out man, of the water. can we just talk about let me let me find something else where you, you can just continue for a minute and i'm going to find something else for you so yeah you, you end up um sort of traversing through various levels in and out of the water so you go down into the water you find your way back out you think you're out into the safe zone but then you're back in the water again <laughs> oh, there it is Oh, see, how much impending doom does that put on you? Um, Man, that is a fucking... I used to, like, I straight up, here's a story. So with that, when you're running out of air, you get a five-second countdown mm-hmm. to when Sonic's going to drown. That traumatized me so much as a kid. If I got to two seconds and I wasn't near a bubble, I would turn my fucking Mega Drive off. Fuck, really? <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. It, that... it used to fuck with me that much. Well, I mean, I can't understand. It puts you into a panic. Um, yeah, it was horrible. I really hated the feeling. Like I liked who was in there because that—that's where it took a step into something way gnarlier than Mario would ever do. Yeah, yeah, you'd never have that sense of um, shit. Mario could actually die here. Yeah, and like he fucking drowns. Yeah, the worst way to go. <laughs> like, fall with his mouth open and bubbles come out, and there's this like death countdown. Well, he full on floats up and then falls off the screen, doesn't he? As if he's actually drowned. It's horrible. Um, so. Yeah, this level introduces all of that stuff. So you've got, again, another new thing to get to grips with in this level. And they keep sort of ramping up the, the difficulty throughout each level. And it's clever that the way that they've they've managed to get that differentiation between each level, not just in design, but in how you have to approach each level as well. Because um, people think of Sonic and think, oh, I can just absolutely fly through every level. But thinking about... Yeah, they're actually very different. Like Labyrinth Zone's a slow level... It's got the cool bits where you get caught in the water currents and then you're catching on things. and Yeah, yeah. there's still that. It's It doesn't slow down to the point of where you're like stopping to explore and stuff. You're still going through the level relatively quickly, but it just paces it nicely. Um, you know, so in terms of the boss on this one, what, what do we actually have to do here, Tom? 
so the boss, there's two more really interesting things I want to talk about here. And one of them is the boss. So you get to Robotnik and he's just in a ship. And what he starts doing is he, he starts flying upwards and escaping. And then the level floods with water. And there's like what appear to be cork elements you can jump on and float up. And then you are in the actual level itself becomes the boss. And it becomes a challenge level where you have to climb a pathway, a vertical pathway with spikes attacking you, um, with gargoyles breathing fire at you before the water overtakes you and then you drown. It's so it so... becomes a chase. It's one of the most panic-inducing levels in games. Oh, yeah. It really is. And one of the and hardest. It's, it's also, it's one of the ones that when you do it now, if you just calm the fuck down and take your time, it's quite easy. But everything about the design of it tells you to rush, mm-hmm. which is the worst thing you can do. It's actually amazing. And you do not have to hit Robotnik a single time. I don't think I've ever killed him on this level. You can get a couple of hits in, but yeah, yeah. he just flies off. And that's, that's kind of the end. And perhaps that's why when we get to Final Zone, and the end of Scrap Brain Zone is clearly linked to the Labyrinth Zone in some geographical way because you travel for a similar area. The other thing I want to shout out is the start of Labyrinth Zone 3 with the puzzle. Right. Where you're on the water slides that continuously loop until you figure out how to activate a door. Yeah, man, that, that got me for a bit as well. Even going back to it after all these years, I was like, shit, what am I doing here again? So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you design. jump onto a slide, and if you slide left to right, left to right, and this will continuously loop until you jump at just the right time off the slide to activate a switch, and then jump back for a secret door you've opened, which takes you to the rest of the level. Yeah, great bit of design. Again, throwing the curve. And that, that just, all of that just adds. Labyrinth Zone is the one to to mess with your expectations. Mm. Yeah, and it made it very, very difficult, but not because the necessarily the level was more difficult. It just gave you a lot of things to figure out and juggle. Yeah, exactly. Again, introducing new things all the time to to really give you something new to experience. To really fuck your shit up. Fuck your shit up. Uh, Starlight Zone is uh, is after that, and this changes things again completely. So, add Starlight Zone never felt like it belonged. I don't really know what they're trying to achieve here. It's it, as you say, it's a bit out of place. Um, where are they even? Um, I don't know. Like some kind of like a research facility that has little house fans around the place. So it's like, it's all green and neon. It's got amazing music. Yeah. Again, another feature, which, which is perpetuated throughout the whole game. Um, so it's, it's, it's very green. It's very neon, um, a very vertical set of levels again, um, with lots of springs and, you yeah, know, Oh, go on. Oh, Yes. Man, isn't it the best, the music in Sonic? Yeah, man, it really is. They've absolutely nailed it. Um, it's not as iconic as Mario Bros. May, well, maybe not. Uh, like, because that's possibly the most iconic piece of gaming music of all time. Okay. Well, yeah, except, I think... maybe like, except maybe like the Tetris theme. or <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Yeah, but it's certainly up there. Um, but this, yeah... The, Interesting, you play the music there because the slower paced music um, does fit. It does fit the aesthetic of the level again. Um, you, yeah, it's you a bit be, ethereal and a bit floaty, and you seem to be up very high in this level, like in the cloud. Well, in the stars, basically, the the backdrop is night, and it's you know you're clearly quite high up. That's what I get the impression. Anyway, I'm gonna fucking play Sonic when we finish recording. <laughs> nice. Um, so we'll, we'll skip through ahead to the boss on this because I really like the boss fight. 
Um, it's really cool. So you got a series of seesaws with spike balls on them. Um, or teeter totters. Teeter totters. God, I hate that word. <laughs> oh man. You, you gotta get that. Gotta get Eggman with your teeter totters. <laughs> what you? Get? What the fuck? Oh, I'm not gonna get him with my teeter totter. <laughs> I get, I'll get your mum with my teeter totter. Oh, oh, stop bringing my mum into this. Unbelievable. Sorry, mum. Uh, <laughs> Are we going to have her as a guest on the show one day? Well, how do you mean have her? Ugh. No, <laughs> it's your mum you're talking about. Oh, shit. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, we're not, because she is not uh, an officiado of video games. In fact, she used to say, Are you still playing them video games? She's not Cornish. <laughs> she uh yeah she wasn't a fan uh so on this level you have to jump either side of the uh seesaw and spring the spike balls up into robotnik who's flying above um, it's called another mechanic he drops the balls you dodge him and then whack him back up his ass it's <laughs> <laughs> what's this Christ. it's what you do and it's it's just like a whole new mechanic for hitting him in a different way you're not just jumping at him again Exactly. So again, new mechanic introduced and works amazingly well. Uh, Scrap Brain Zone, Tom. Great level. Absolutely this is difficult. This. Like the Scrap Brain Zone. So this is the obligatory '90s factory ending, second to last level in a factory. It has to be. <laughs> um, oh yes. This is difficult. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know difficult. what fucks me? So, so Scrap Brain, you're in this factory. You've got conveyor belts. You've got saw blades that move up and down. So you're running on the conveyor belts. You'll end up going very, very slow or very fast, depending on which way they're going. The, the thing that fucks me all the time on this side is they put stuff above the conveyor belts that there's bad things for you to hit. Mm-hmm. But you know when you're running on the conveyor belt and it's going slow, you want to jump to make yourself go forward. And yeah. I always jump into the fucking saw above <laughs> it, even though I know it's there. <laughs> well, it's designed to make you do that. It's very clever. Um, but you've got like, yes, saw blades, fire, spinning platforms, which throw you off them. Um, amongst that, you've got obviously all the enemies that attack you as well. Um, so there's a lot going on in this level. It's a, it is a bit of a nightmare to, to, uh, traverse. Um, but it, it's, it's again, an incredible piece of design and it's got this intimidating feel. You really know you're getting towards like, no one needs to tell you that this is the end of the game. Mm. Yeah. Well, it feels like an evil lair, doesn't it? It, it really does feel like that. It's got all these traps and, it's, and things. And it's like because Robotnik's machines are always like a hodgepodge of bits, the outside, insides are always on the outside. The yeah. level's very much designed like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So cool. it's almost like the whole thing's a boss fight. But when you get to Scrap Brain 3, Ad, you go back into Labyrinth Zone. It, or it appears, it, shares the visual. Something that looks like Labyrinth Zone, certainly, yeah. Um, it's grey so, instead of gold, but it's... Yeah, so it, as you say, it's it could be something that's like a, in a storytelling capacity, like connected, like an underground labyrinth gets to his base or something. But you know, that's why Starlight Zone feels so weird in the middle of that. Uh, but yeah, so then obviously you've 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 got through Scrap Brain Zone and you get to the final zone. Wait, 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 wait. When you get to the end of Scrap Brain Zone, this is something I love. Go on. You get there and you see something that you've not seen yet in the game, and it's just an entire row of springs that points at the ceiling. And yeah. I remember the first time you see it, I looked at it and I just went, oh, fuck, I made it. Like, <laughs> oh. you know, you know, because you've never seen anything like that in the game, that that's something's going to happen when you jump on them springs. Mm. And you jump on it and you fly through the ceiling and then suddenly you hear, hold on, I've got the oh. uh, thing coming out. Suddenly you hear. Oh, yeah. 
and it just says it like you go through and immediately it comes up final zone and it has this like dramatic music and like it's like this is it like do or die well it's like there's no going back so you, you hit those springs you can't come back down there's nowhere else to go you're going up there's no, there's, there's no rings to collect in that level you're there with however many lives you've got normally not a lot by this point yeah yeah quite um yeah, you're right. Again, I hadn't personally I haven't really thought about that as much as, as maybe I, I should have before because it really does give you that sense of Well go back and back. think about it. <laughs> okay. It's my homework. I'll uh, pause the podcast now. And I, you go away and think about what you haven't thought about. Go and sit in a corner and think about what I've haven't done. Okay. Right, we're back. Um <laughs> I've been in the corner. Having thought about it. <laughs> having thought about it. It really does give you that sense. <laughs> um yeah so but yeah I, I always remember the first time i saw that and i was just like holy shit and they're like apprehensive to fucking do it yeah you are because as you say you've got normally got a limited amount of resource at that point in terms of lives rings all that sort of stuff so well and also if you've never seen the boss you're like this is it i'm gonna come face to face with robotnik's biggest control like invention and mm-hmm. i think the final zone is kind of really creative because you're inside the machine this time mm-hmm. yeah yeah so you are making your way through that machine and you don't come across anything until you get to him, really. Um, yeah, so you just run through one empty room. It's not a long run. Like, you're in an empty room. You just And let's just shout out, at the end of one of the previous zones, I think it may be Scrap Brain Zone 2, mm-hmm. you come across Robotnik face-to-face and he's behind a barrier. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he jumps onto a, a platform that drops you through the floor. And that's why Scrap Brain 3 is underwater. Yes. And then when you come through the springs and you pop up, you're the other side of the barrier where you saw him. Mm. So, you know, and it's got a very distinctive barrier with like the, the angled lines. That's and it. you're like, oh, fuck, I made it inside. Like, I'm in the lines shit, then. Son! <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, yeah. So then you go and you fight Robotnik. Um, so, yeah, Tom, take us through the final boss. So the final boss is amazing. You run into a room and there's four... Uh, you get into a room and all you've got is like a red light bulb in the top corner. And then four like platforms, two on the floor and two on the ceiling. You move in and immediately two of these things shoot out to crush you in the middle of the room. And Robotnik's in one of them. And uh, you dodge them and you go, what the fuck? And then the laser shoots across out of the red light bulb and four orbs will come down and move slowly towards you, and you have to dodge them. This repeats, and every time, a random two of these pistons will shoot out, and Robotnik's in one, but not the other. So it's a bit of trial and error, which one you're going to get. And when you first play the boss, you're always so preoccupied about getting him, the second you see him, you go to him. What you actually learn as you get better at it is commit to being by one of them, and if he's not in it, just that turn didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah, because if you try to get to him when you shouldn't, you're going to get crushed. But this is all like one hit kills you. There's no, there's no rings. You're going to get crushed. They, these are big, fucking solid-looking things. And don't and forget, you've got to this end boss, and if you die, that is it. You're back to the start. Uh, so that gives you that extra sense of shit. I'm, I'm here. I've made it through all those fucking levels, and now it's do or die. And it, it really. <laughs> that ramps up the tension as well because and it, it makes no like there's no way of not like you know this is the final boss despite it said final zone whatever there's not going to be a secondary boss this is you hitting Robotnik in his machine the second you you land the killing blow mm. the whole place starts exploding and these pistons retract really slowly and then you chase Robotnik 
and he gets into a ship to try and escape and you hit him the one last time and he goes like yeah. and crashes. And then you get the roll credits where Sonic runs back through Green Hill Zone. All the animals around him, you've got this amazing ending music. And then at the end, when the music finishes, he like leaps towards the screen with like his finger out, like, I'm a fucking dude. <laughs> um, yeah, it man. looks a bit 3D and, and whatever. What I want to know, Ad, is how was it to go back and play through? Because I play through this game every year. So I, yeah, I have not. I have not played through this game since probably the 90s. So going back and playing it, right? Okay. What I'll first say is, it hasn't aged. It just, it's timeless. Like you can go back and play it and it's as good now as it was then. And there's not that many games that you can really say that it just, it, it plays perfectly as it did. Yeah. And I think when, when you get in, if you go to play Sonic and you've not played it, you can't view this as a platformer under the same lens that you view Super Mario Brothers or Mega Man. Those kind of precision accurate platforms this is as i said to you before Ad, this is snowboarding to mario skiing yeah precisely this it is. is it it's a little bit sloppy it's a little bit janky it's very very cool and and that's exactly the vibe it was going for it is almost like a platform across of an extreme sports game fully high octane stuff all the way through um it, and it it gets your adrenaline pumping um more so than mario ever could because uh, it's it's just it's the pace of it. It's the the sense of uh, dread that it puts on you when like you're in a bit of a tight spot, um, and it, that hasn't lost any of its effect now as to what it had when I was like nine years old playing this, whatever. And for a sixteen bit sprite, Sonic's like the most lovable fucking dude. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's got that attitude, but he's not. I don't think you know he comes across as an asshole. He's just like he's just got this like yeah, fuck he's you lo- attitude. He's a lovable cunt. Lovable rogue or cunt. <laughs> yeah yeah he is um like they softened his image a bit for this game um as to like his manga style origins for the u.s market um but then hardened it again a little when sort of tales came along we'll talk about that when we cover sonic we're going to talk about all the sexual tension between sonic and tales when we get to that <laughs> there was a lot there oh man there's definitely some porn of that Oh God! Really? I hope not, Mister Needle Dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus! Oh, come at me with those twin tails. Uh, so, in terms yeah, you of hold them like <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> tails is love handles. <laughs> wow. Oh God, I didn't think that was going to feature in this pod, but it has. So excellent. Um, reception. So we touched on this earlier, but. Uh, Can you stop making so much fucking noise? Sorry, I'm moving about a bit. Thank you. So, sorry, should we... Very, we'll un- cut, very unprofessional. We'll cut that. We'll cut that. Right, so before Sonic came out, Nintendo, as we said earlier, were the kings of the console industry. Um, and Sega managed to turn that around quite instrumentally in 1992, by 1992. Um, so, Tom... In terms of Sonic itself, tell us a little bit about how that was received, you know, on its immediate release and then further down the line. What what actually happened with Sonic? I've got no idea. Oh, okay, cool. So that, thanks for joining us. Cheers, guys. Um, basically, Sonic was a mega hit and it's really hard to 
I say it's hard to judge because it was the packing game and how do you count, you know, Wii Sports is one of the best selling games fucking ever because it was the packing game. But the fact that the Genesis was on the market already and not selling means that you can attribute the sales of that console to this game. Yeah, absolutely, which is huge. Which means that people are effectively buying a $150 game. When you think of it that way... It's... I mean, it was their entry to the consoles as well, but they outsold Nintendo four Christmas seasons in a fucking row. Fucking hell. That's um, some... They did have a lower price point, larger game library compared to the SNES had at release. Uh, they had 10 games for every one SNES game at one point. But... Wow. Yeah, and there's things like, so SNES had an exclusive version of Final Fight, Sega made Streets of Rage, uh, with bigger levels, tougher enemies, and better soundtrack. Uh, in 1993, the Genesis had 250 games versus 75 for the Super NES. Because never get the Genesis, then they partnered with EA Sport, oh, with EA with um, yeah, Trick Hawkins and people like that. They got the sports games, Madden Football. So a lot of Sonic's success is tied into the Genesis success, and a lot of the success of the Genesis is tied into Sonic. The two can't be seen as mutually exclusive. No, well, without Sonic, it wouldn't have. I think it would have fizzled out long before it did in terms of being a, con- a real contender and you know being a, an alternative to the, the Nintendo systems um, obviously things didn't quite pan out for Sega and, and the Mega Drive and then the future consoles but they did for a while man they, they were like real serious contenders and they really shook Nintendo's boat and Nintendo have never fully recovered because before Sega papped their last poop mm. um, Sony entered the fray yeah, exactly. That changed things. In 1994 with the PlayStation. And that's it. Yeah, Sony like, really... Ninten- Nintendo, have, Nintendo have not been on top since Sega came in and shut the boat. Nintendo have, have endured and persevered since well, 1995. But... Uh, 1985, sorry. Which is a hell of a like thing anyway, isn't it? To last 35 years yeah, in an industry that's so fleeting and so temp- temporal in its in its kind of attitudes. But Sega fucked them like good and then left. <laughs> Just left. They left Nintendo face down on the bed with cum dripping out of us. <laughs> oh my God. We might have to cut that. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard an analogy quite as graphic when describing console wars. <laughs> Tom's dying. Oh my god! I had a point to make, but I don't think I should bother. That's that's been the first episode. <laughs> that ain't bitch shit show. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening. Head over to happyhourgaming.net where you can find <laughs> where you can find all of our other shows. Uh, head over to happyhourgaming.net and check out all of our uh, exclusive other shows uh, we've got happy hour gaming podcast we have after hours which is our deep dive show into various topics cyberpunk uh, giveaway bro cyberpunk giveaway going on at the moment we need to reach 500 followers on twitter for you to be in with a chance to win a free copy of cyberpunk 2077 so head over to twitter hit like Follow the competition entry rules and get involved. Um, as I said, 
<laughs> that's been that eight bit shit show season two premiere <laughs> if you've enjoyed it thank I, you Tom. Come on already it's been a ride man it's been a ride it has all right take it easy, take it easy guys good night